All right, well, good morning, everyone. Can you grab your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4, please? Ephesians chapter 4. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a great weekend together. We thank you for the work that you've done, the work that you'll continue to do. God, I thank you that you don't live just on this camp. And what what we've experienced, the community that we've experienced with each other, times in your word, times in worship. God, we give you thanks, and I pray we would be intentional about continuing with you when we go home. And so I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, you would teach all of us, myself included, remind us, instruct us, bring new things up that maybe we've never seen before. And then thank you that you provide the grace necessary in your presence to live godly lives. God, I thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Jesus, thanks for coming for us dying for us, coming back from the dead. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're in us for those of us who know you and have surrendered to Jesus. So God, take this time and do an incredible thing in all of us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Hey, I know that for a number of you, you all stayed back last night and dealt with some things. uh, And I'm so thankful. It was great to watch. They just kind of sit in the back and just watch what God does. And Leaders, you got to hang with your students and chat through some things and hear their heart and pray with them and cry with them and don't lose that, friends. I used to think, uh, I mean, mean, I've been involved in doing camp ministry for a long time, just speaking here and there. And there's part of of me that uh, a while back was kind of like, God, is, is this really real? Or is this the camp high? Like, how can we know that this is true? And then you start thinking about everything that you've done this weekend. You ate meals together, which is what the early church did. They always ate together, which is such a wonderful thing. And you worship together. And we study the word together. And then we confess things to one another. In other words, we live as the church. Friends, when you look at what that word church means, ecclesia, it has nothing to do with a place. It has nothing to do with an event, and isn't that what we've turned it into? Hey, you want to come to church? You want to come to church? You want to to come to my church? Guys, the word actually means this, literally means, and it's not even a religious word. In the original language, it means this. It's a gathering of people brought together to fulfill a purpose. The church is the people. It has nothing to do with the building. It has nothing to do with the worship service. And it's not even about how many people show up to a youth group or to a church. Jesus said, we're two or more have gathered in my name. There I am in their midst. Sometimes we're so big on how many come up that we forget the ones that are there. We're looking at those who aren't. I just want to encourage you when you go home, be intentional. That means make the time, set time aside to get into the word with Jesus. 
Not to read it so you can answer questions one day like there's a trivia pursuit game up in heaven, but to really just spend time with the Creator. If you don't know how to have a time with the Creator, then ask a leader. Ask a parent. If they, if they follow the Lord, ask them, how do you spend time with the Lord? And then you watch. You say, like, oh, but Brian, some of this stuff's hard. I would say don't start at the very beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. It's tough because by the time you get to the middle of Exodus, you're going, I'm done. Has anyone ever left camp going, I'm going to read the whole Bible today? <laughs> you just had this newfound commitment, and you start in Genesis, and there's some weird stories in there, and then you get to Exodus, there's still some weird stories, and then it starts getting into the laws, and you're like, I don't get it. And then Leviticus, you're just sitting there going, what is this all about? There's just blood being splattered all over everything, and sacrifices, and then numbers, just a group of numbering the people. And I'm like, God, is this, God, is this your cure for insomnia? Like, I don't understand. Why is this part in there? So maybe don't start there. Maybe start with the book of Mark or the book of Philippians and just read subheading to subheading. If you've never done this, just read subheading to subheading, grab a journal. If anything pops out of the page, write that verse or that one sentence or statement down. And then underneath, write out why you're writing it. And then after that, you just pray, God, how do I apply this? And then from there, maybe say, God, who do you want me to share this with? Because isn't that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to share the hope of Jesus with other people? Guys, I was so excited last night to watch, knowing that God's working. And I know that some didn't stay back. And it's not like, I didn't stay back. You're not talking about me. Guys, God works in all of us. His word does not return void. It accomplishes exactly what he wants it to accomplish. So every time that the word goes out, I can thank God because he's accomplishing what he wants. But can I encourage you with this? For those that had to confess some things or repent from some things, I want to encourage all of us, that should be daily, hourly, moment by moment going, God, I'm so sorry for my pride. Anybody else struggle with pride? We probably all should put our hands up on that one. We start pushing ourselves forward. And so I'm all, I mean, I had to confess pride. I'm like, God, I'm so sorry for my pride. I just feel it and I don't like it. I hate it. And guys, that's the freedom that comes because once it's confessed, it's not plaguing my mind. And once I repent from it, I don't feel like I'm condemned by it. And so it should be constantly always going to the Father and not feeling like you're condemned, but you're accepted and loved because of his grace. And then always go back to the cross and remember the beauty of it. I share this story often. I remember when I was at the lake many years ago, uh, I presented that message I gave last night and a 15-year-old guy came walking up and I usually just bolt to the back. I used to be the guy that once said, like I'd make myself available to everyone because I thought I was the Bible answer man. It's like, if you need me, I'm there. I'm like Jesus Jr. That was kind of my, it was, it was such ego and such pride and God has ripped that away and I'm so thankful for that. So I usually bolt to the back, but he caught me before I could get to the back. He goes, Brian, can I tell you something? I said, sure, and he starts to tear up. And that little quiver thing, he's like, <laughs> so he's, he's trying to keep it together. He goes, I just, I, just don't feel, I just don't feel worthy. And I looked at him and I went, you're not. And that's all I said, and then he goes, okay, thanks. So then he starts to walk, he's like, no, 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 I haven't done that. Let me finish, let me finish. And I said, buddy, hey dude, you're not worthy but the cross says you're worth it. Guys, if I could get you to walk home with anything, 
realize and know this. Friends, we are not worthy of what Jesus did. We are not worthy of his grace. We're not worthy of his mercy. We're not worthy of his forgiveness. We're not worthy of him. But the cross is God's declaration throughout the universe that he deems us worth it. You're worth it. To him, you're worth it. Friends, for those who struggle with value, like when you look in the mirror, you don't see valuable. It's a comparison game constantly. Do you realize that there's a God in the universe who became a man, took a cross, came back from the dead because he deems you worth it? And isn't the king's opinion of you more important than everybody else's? And so think about it. If you've surrendered your life to Christ, your identity has changed. You're a child of God. Therefore, you're royalty. And so we have this new thing with Jesus. We have this relationship, and we're called to be different. So we're going to go back through Ephesians chapter 4, starting verse 17. We're going to go through the, verse, the rest of the chapter. It says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, because you're a new creation, because of what Jesus has done, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak, to, speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Now, that's a weird one, isn't it? Hey, get ticked, but don't sin. I'm like, well, how, how do you do that? Guys, there are things that go on in the world that should anger us. I don't like the children. No, I'll change it. I hate that children are sold into sex slavery around the world. I hate it. I hate that people take the life of the unborn. I hate it. It burdens me. I hate when people are oppressed. It angers me. But I do, I'm called to not sin in my anger. And I can't then look at those people, you know, those people who are doing those things and deem them my enemies. Because the Bible says that my battle is not against flesh and blood but it's against the spiritual forces of this dark world. That Jesus calls us as followers of Jesus to love in such a way that it seems impossible. What do I mean by that? When Jesus says, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for those who persecute you. An enemy comes up in my face and just lets me have it and my response is supposed to be, love him. It doesn't say love him so if he does this, and, but if he doesn't, then you can just jack him. Just crack his jaw and go home. 
He says, if you want to be my disciple, you got to deny yourself. you got to pick up your cross daily. you got to follow me. And here comes our Lord saying, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for those who persecute you. And he said, doesn't he understand how hard this is? And he goes, I think he's sitting there going, I do. Because even the writer of Hebrews says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, yet was without sin. And if you want to know, hey, is this possible? Jesus did it. Yeah, but that's Jesus. But then you get to Acts chapter 8, and Stephen, the first martyr, did it. That while he's being stoned, like when people are throwing rocks at him to kill him simply because he proclaimed the truth about Jesus, what does he say? He says, I look to heaven. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And man, that ticked them off. And guys, I've gone back to that passage so many times and it blows my mind. How often do we hear that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father? Seated at the right hand of the Father, which is a place of power. But here, when the first martyr is dying because he loved Jesus, Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. Why? This is my conviction. I think he's standing in ovation. And I think he still stands in ovation over the thousands of followers of Jesus who are martyred today. Guys, there's more people who die for their faith in Jesus today than at any point in human history. And I believe that every time it happens, Jesus stands in ovation. And what if he gives them that same glimpse? What if he parts the heavens and they get to see Jesus standing in honor and in ovation because they're willing to give everything because they love him? Guys, it's something big that he calls us to. But we have a big God who supplies us everything so that we can do it. We can't do it by ourselves. That's why there's this constant reliance upon him. Guys, if I could challenge you to do anything, please do not turn, quote unquote, church into an event or church into part of my life or Jesus into part of my life like, like a hobby or a responsibility. Man, Jesus is supposed to be preeminent. He's supposed to be our life. Not just an aspect of it. And so when he says, be angry, but don't sin in your anger, guys, there should be things that anger us. But don't sin in that. We don't get to respond and react what's natural to us. We want to respond and react the way that the Lord tells us to. Verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Guys, did you see the, the, the point He's like, those of you who are stealing, knock it off. Like, stop stealing. What you should do is get a job. But you should get a job so you can be generous with others. Guys, one of the motivations of work is that we can be generous with people. Isn't it say right there? He said, I go, already get that. What says it? How did Jesus exemplify it? How do we know that God is a generous God? Well, there's the daily provisions. Guys, I was sitting there at breakfast, and I usually just sit in the fire by the fireplace because I just like to sit there and be available if anyone wants to hang out. But I, I actually looked around. It was weird. I've never had this experience at a camp. And it's, I'm not a stalker, I promise. But I started, I was watching everyone eat, which is weird. Like some of you are really cool when you eat, and others of you, you need to learn some manners. But it's like, like but I'm just watching people eat, and it hit me. I thought, every person here has food that we did nothing for. We're all sitting here eating, and there's leftovers, right? 
And I sat there and I was like, God, you are good. You're a good God who provides. And some would say, well, people have to cook it, and I know, and they cook amazingly well. And I'm so thankful for that. But no one can make a cantaloupe grow. It's like, well, I watered it, but you can't tell it to grow. It's like, grow, grow, beautiful cantaloupe. You can't do it. It just grows. Like, God creates all this stuff so that he can provide for us. I sat there and I was like, God, you do provide. You provide everything that we need. Snow and rain falls so that we have water to drink and that we can shower with. Guys, when's the last time we thank God for that? I usually go, I don't want, I don't want to put chains on my truck. Are you kidding me? I don't want to deal with that. I need to stop and thank him for that. Guys, when's the last time you, you thank God for Jupiter? I'm just no, I'm, I'm serious. Guys, you're, you know what Jupiter does? It sucks in all these massive asteroids that are coming toward the earth and takes it for us. It's like, it's, it's like Jupiter is our bodyguard. So these massive meteors and asteroids that are flying at the earth, somehow the gravitational pull of Jupiter sucks it in and just goes, bam, I like it. Ah, I like that. We need to thank God for Jupiter. You're like, Brian, you're getting too big. I mean, this is too much. Don't, don't go crazy. I want to go crazy. Why? Because we're supposed to be different. Isn't that what he says? Those of you who still stop stealing and then get a job so you can be generous, not just so you can spend it on yourself, but you can help others who are in need. He goes on. He says, uh, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We don't struggle with that, do we? I mean, all of our words are always hyper-encouraging. Guys, you ever notice how bold we get when we're on a screen? But how quiet we get when we go face-to-face with one person? I mean, you get the masses against the one. Man, that's loud. One-on-one's a little different. But behind that screen on a keyboard, dang, we are unstoppable. I mean, it's just like you just read, it's like, what? no, you did not. Shut up. And it's just verbal vomit through your fingers. Boom, send in your face. And you won what? And you looked nothing like Jesus. And I looked nothing like Jesus. The words that are supposed to come out of my mouth are supposed to be encouraging. It's supposed to be helpful, building up of others. It doesn't mean that I don't confront people when necessary, that I shouldn't be confronted because that's building me up. To love me enough to tell me the truth, I need that. And so do you. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from, from you along with all malice. Guys, be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. For some of you, maybe you're holding on to bitterness or a grudge. You're like, but I'm not, I'm not letting go of this until they ask for forgiveness. But here's the problem with that mentality. If that's you, do you realize that every time you think of that person, you think of what they did and you go through it again? That means you are still susceptible to them. They still have power over you. What if forgiveness is God's greatest gift for you, that you don't grow up to be bitter, and you don't grow up to be angry, and you're not in bondage? 
What if God's saying, I want you to forgive me? Like, but I can't, they didn't ask me. He's like, I know they didn't ask. But we always go back to the gospel. We always go back to the life of Jesus. That if Jesus forgave those who were killing them in the moment, what right do I have to hold, on to hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness toward anyone? If I'm gonna go after what Jesus says and I'm gonna live this life that's about Christ, and it's not this mixture of Jesus and the American culture or the American dream, but it's all about Jesus, then I should look different. I should react different, I should be different. And so different that people take notice. Why do we forgive people? Because we've been forgiven a great deal. Therefore we forgive. Because we've been forgiven. And you say, but Brian, I can't, it hurts so bad. This is what you do. This is what you do. You just start praying, God, I want to forgive, but I can't. I want to forgive because you're telling me to and I love you, but I can't. Will you help me forgive? Guys, that's confession. God always receives that. A broken and contrite heart, God will not turn that away. And so you just say, God, I can't, I want to, but I can't, would you help me? And then you start praying for that person. And you watch God starting to soften your heart. You let God do his work. But to stay in unforgiveness and to hold on to bitterness, friends, that's, that's sin, it's disobedience to God. And it leaves you in bondage to what happened years ago. Do you see how actually the Bible actually has some very practical things for us? But notice he brings up the Holy Spirit. Guys, I think the Holy Spirit is, is the third person, the Trinity, that we talk the least about. And we speak to the least. He's almost just like on the side. We don't talk to him. But friends, the Holy Spirit, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, let this sink in for just a second. The Holy Spirit, who is fully God, does, he's not just with you, he's in you. Are you kidding me? But here's a question. If he decided to leave for one day, would we even notice? If the Holy Spirit said, I'm gonna take a day, I'm gonna pull out, would I even notice? Am I in such intimacy with the Holy Spirit of God that if he left, I would notice? Or does my walk with Jesus look pretty good? At least maybe I'm a little bit moral, I'm a little more good than everybody else. Hopefully I'm a little bit, little bit, but again, we're supposed to be different. In John chapter 14, starting in verse 15, I think it is, Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Friends, if you love Jesus but don't obey him, you say, I love Jesus but don't obey him, then Jesus is saying, then you don't love me. You're like, what? Like you can have the experience and the hands go up in worship and you're just like, man, the camp was awesome and youth group's amazing and church is so cool and I just had this thought and feeling and then you go out and you just completely rebel in sin. Then Jesus is saying, all that worship was in vain. You don't love me. Friends, it doesn't mean that we won't struggle with sin, but my love for Jesus means that I'm not going to consciously engage in it as a lifestyle. I'm gonna look at what the scriptures say, what's true and what isn't, and I'm gonna go, God, I'm gonna live by what's true, and I'm gonna stay away from what's not, because I believe your book. And whether or not I feel like it, because think about it today, is, aren't feelings now the gauge? Feelings have become the God. What I feel is what I am. 
And I go, are you kidding me? It can't be, because you ever notice how fickle feelings are? Guys, even in the scriptures, you ever notice how David, at one moment, he's like, I love the Lord. This is the best. This is a wonderful life. And the next time he's like, I want to die. I mean, it's like all over the place. So because feelings can be fickle, we need something that actually shows us here's truth. Here's what truth is. But Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. He continues, verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Isn't that beautiful? Another helper. In other words, he knows you can't do it by yourself. And he doesn't expect us to. Guys, I'm going to... I think it's time, and don't throw anything at me first. Let me finish the statement, okay? I think it's high time that we as followers of Jesus stop living for Christ. Here's what I mean. We need to stop living for Christ and start living with Christ and by Christ. And when we live with Christ and by Christ, we will live for Christ. It's not Jesus, sit there. Father, sit there. I know you're tired. You're old. I'll go live for you. Watch what I do. And every time Jesus is like, he'll be back. Yeah, she'll be back. They can't do this. Friends, we need to live by Christ, with Christ, and we will live for Christ. Does that make sense? We have a helper because we can't do it by ourselves. And yet we have a culture that tells us, don't ask for help. But aren't we called to be different? Friends, we should be asking God all the time, would you help me? Would you help me? Has anyone ever prayed for patience and then regretted it right after you asked? Because God took you seriously. God, would you give me patience? And then you open your eyes and coming around the corner is that person. And you're just like, I didn't mean now. And I didn't mean them. Would you just make me feel patient? Not put me through this gauntlet. And I wonder if right, 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 right when we pray, God, would you give me patience? I wonder if Jesus is like, seraphim, cherubim, come here, all angelic beings, watch this. Pop some popcorn, because here comes the movie called Brian. He just prayed for patience, and maybe all of them go, what? Haven't they learned? Don't do that. But what if, when you don't feel patience, instead of sitting there feeling guilty because you don't feel patient, you simply do this. Holy Spirit, would you give me patience? I'm not patient. Holy Spirit, would you help me love this person? Because I don't want to. Holy Spirit, would you give me your joy? Because I'm not experiencing it. I'm overwhelmed by this trial or this circumstance. Holy Spirit, would you give me your peace? Because I'm freaking out. Would you help me have peace? Holy Spirit, would you give me self-control? I feel like I'm being taken over by this thing or this want. Would you give me self-control that I would only want the things that you want? What if you just take the fruit of the Spirit that's found in Galatians chapter 5, and you just keep asking the Holy Spirit, would you help me with this? Would you help me with this? Because at no point does God go, come on, get your act together. He wants us to ask for help because we can't do it by ourselves. That's why he gave us a helper to be with you forever, verse 17. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then here's Jesus. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, and that's by the Holy Spirit, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. Because Jesus lives, you'll live. For those of you that have gone, you're going through that thing 
And if I say you're going through that thing, some of you guys are, I'm going through it. I think I said this statement already, but I want, to rep- I want to repeat it. Jesus has lived out your tomorrow, and he knows exactly how he's going to bring you through it. You can ask God to take it away or to get you around it. But if he says no, then you have to trust that he'll bring you through it. Does that make sense? There's nothing wrong with asking God, would you take this away? But what if he says no? Well, God would never say no if I ask him to take something that's hard away. Really? Read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, where all of a sudden Paul's like, hey, I had this thorn in the flesh, and three times I pleaded with the Lord that he would take it away. But what was Jesus' response? He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's just Jesus' polite way of saying no. My grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in weakness. Friends, when I have nothing left that I can try to figure out to fix the problem, to get through the issue, then I can actually go to the God who has no limits in power. Isn't it amazing how we think? I've tried everything I can, so now I guess I'll pray. And God is sitting there going, why don't you start there? You're limited You don't have all power. God has no limits, has all power. And yet we leave him out until the last minute. It's like, but Brian, I've prayed and it didn't change anything. Really? Because what if the purpose of prayer is not to change the circumstance, but maybe the purpose of prayer is to change you? And what if it's to change me? Like, what if in my prayer and my reliance upon God, he's actually building up my faith rather than just making sure that I'm as comfortable as possible by the time that I meet him? Guys, do you realize that the Bible actually talks about that there is good that comes out of suffering? Romans chapter five, James chapter one. Like, there's benefits from it, and it builds us up. Any athletes in the room? Any play, anyone to play sports? Okay, whatever your sport is, you ever notice that first week, week or two? You haven't played for a while. And I don't know if they call it this now. They used to call it Hell Week back in the day. I don't know if they call it, but it's like, oh my gosh, we're just going hard and I can't barely breathe. And I think that was my lung that I just coughed up. It's like all this stuff. You're vomiting in a bucket with your friends and it's fun because that's how you, you get ready. But the coach is just drilling you and going for it. Or you're working out and the next day you can't move your arms. I remember the first time I met a guy named Personal Trainer. Because I, before I met Personal Trainer, I'm like, Walking a treadmill like a mile and a half, like a one and a half miles per hour with a donut and a Mountain Dew. It's like, nah, I'm working out. Look at me, I'm just burning calories. And then he put me through this thing. Two days later, I couldn't put my shirt on. Literally, my wife had to treat me like a baby and bring it down. And then I had to drive to work. And I'm like, maybe this isn't safe. I can't move my arms. So I'm just like trying, like I can't get them. Like, come on, because he put me through it. And about two weeks later, I was doing well. Isn't it amazing? Physically, we expect that suffering is actually going to produce good in us. But when God does it for our whole life, we think that he's failing us. Is it possible that God is actually preparing us for something that's greater than just being comfortable by the time that I reach Jesus? So if the statistic's true, 100% of us in the room will die one day. Unless Jesus comes back one day, it's like, wow, this is the best way to end camp. Yeah, the statistic's true. I mean, there's only been a couple that have escaped death. Enoch, Elijah, and then Jesus beat it in the face. So those are good. But physically, we will die 100%. So maybe we should stop striving to reach heaven as comfortable as possible. And we should say, God, whatever you want to do in my life, 
Prepare me for your work and your will and your purposes. But how do you sum this big book up? I didn't, uh, guys, when I, I was standing in the back, and I, then I was standing over there and worshiping with y'all, and, and then the great commandment popped in my head. Do you guys know that one? I think there's two greats in the Bible, and I think if we do these two greats, we're pretty much doing everything that Jesus wants us to do. When Jesus was approached in, in, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, to test him. Friends, can I beg you? Don't go to Scripture and to Jesus to test him. Go to Scripture and Jesus to learn from him. This wasn't about trying to learn anything that's better for his life. This was to test him, to trap him. It says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I think it's in the book of Mark where Jesus, when Mark records it, he actually says this, where Jesus starts off with something called the Shema. It's from, I think it's Deuteronomy chapter six, and he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. See, we have to start with belief in a God and that there's only one. That means that everyone else who's not worshiping Jesus, they're not worshiping the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are wrong. Like, Brian, that's pretty rude. But if I look in the scriptures and God's saying, hey, I know of no other gods, not one. There's no other God except God in heaven. I'm gonna go with the book that out has outlasted societies and cultures. Even though societies and cultures and kings and empires have tried to destroy it, it's still here. It's the most validated book in all of human history. It's the most reliable book in all of human history. And when people apply the principles, societies and cultures are changed for the good when we're in obedience to God. So here are Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And he says, and the second one is like it. Notice there's two. But the first is to love him with everything. The second, love your neighbors yourself. Who's your neighbor? Every human on the planet. And then he says this at the end. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The big fatty part of the Bible that we ignore a lot of the time, I don't wanna read that, it's too hard. It is hard. But he says that whole part is summed up in love God with everything you got and love people. That's it. What if you just do those two things? And then the last great, if you go back a, a few pages in Matthew chapter 28, I'll start to land the plane, y'all. Jesus is crucified, Jesus is resurrected, Jesus has now shown himself to his disciples. And if you've been brought up in the church, I'm sure that you've heard this, or at least I hope you have, because these are the marching orders for the church. In verse 16 of chapter 28, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Isn't that weird? I mean, here's Jesus resurrected from the dead. And when you read John, things chapter 20, when he shows himself to Thomas, you know that Jesus kept something even after he got this resurrected body. There's, some, there's one thing that Jesus kept. Do you know what it was? I mean, this is the body that could go through walls, just show up and then disappear. 
But do you know what he kept? His scars. Jesus kept his scars. And I don't think he just kept the ones in his wrists and the one in his feet, the one in his side. I think he kept them all. I think when we see Jesus, we will see him with scars. And each of one of those scars, is as, it's as if he's reminding us, all this because I wanted you to be with me and to see me in this glory. Some worshiped and yet some doubted. I love the honesty of the Bible. And maybe for some, you're leaving here, some of you worshiped. And yet some of you are still doubting. And that's okay. All I ask of you, for those that are doubting, actually seek truth rather than just trying to find other YouTube videos that are made in somebody's mama's basement that's just backing up your doubts so that you don't have to do anything with it. Actually think through it. Like, don't be lazy in your doubt. Be proactive in your doubt. Look for truth. He goes on. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How can that be? If he's God Almighty, how can authority be given to him? Guys, do you realize he gave up the glories of being God and became a man, fully God, fully man at the same time? He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross when he was resurrected. Then the Father, it's not that he reinstated him, but hey, your authority, the authority that you've always had, it's yours. All authority, all might and all right is given to Jesus. Because he's in charge, he says, go, therefore. Go. Now, word go means don't do it once. Keep going. Keep going. Don't stop. Keep going. Go, therefore, and make what? Do you see it? What's it say? Disciples, learners, pupils, followers. It's not just about, hey, get them to pray a prayer and get saved. Make followers, make learners. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching those disciples to obey all that I've commanded you. The whole world? So then we feel the pressure, right? So now we gotta think of something big. I got to do something big. Got to do something big. No, you don't. Friends, if your mission field starts in your zip code, then you are a missionary in your zip code. And you just be faithful in the mundane. You know the things that nobody will ever notice? No one will ever take a, they'll never take a video and post it whatever social media that they're about. They're not going to do a TikTok video because it's not that impressive. In John chapter 2, when they ran out of wine, they come to Jesus. Mary comes to Jesus and says, hey, they have no more wine. And he looks at her and says, woman? And we're like, dang, you just womaned your mom. That's not good. But it's actually a term of endearment. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My time hasn't come yet. And she actually kind of ignores what Jesus says and just says, just do whatever he tells you. Looks at the servants, do whatever he tells you. Has anyone had your mom ever volunteer you for anything? Jesus gets it. He understands it. Just do whatever he says. And then she walks away. Can you imagine the servants then looking at Jesus going, we get it. Our mom did it to us too. And then he says, you see those six jars that are, that are, that are there for purification? I want you to fill them all to the brim with water. What's the problem? They had no more what? Wine. Wine. And Jesus goes, fill them all with water. Do you ever wonder if the, some of the servants are going, that makes no sense. Like, what's that going to do? That makes no sense. And yet it says that they filled them to the brim. And it says they came and they, they gave it. Oh, actually, when they brought it back, Jesus says, now give it to the master of the ceremony. And so it says they went. And I'm like, how many people does it take to take a cup of 
wine to a guy. But they all went, it's like, I'm not going to look stupid. Let's all go together. <laughs> Guys, the master of the ceremony took a drink. He says, this is the best one I've ever had. Jesus made 180 gallons of it. Dang. The best part of that passage for me, though, is this. Jesus manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Because some servants filled some jars. 180 times. If it's a one-gallon bucket, 180 times, no one noticed, no one cared. They didn't even know there was a problem. Jesus fixed it because this would have been a huge shame on the family because they couldn't provide for their guests. Jesus just said, just go fill it all up with water. Friends, you be faithful in the mundane and you'll see the miraculous. You don't create the miraculous, you just fill the jars. Youth leaders, just fill jars. You can't change the heart of a student. Just change, just fill jars. You set the kindling around the heart and you let the Holy Spirit set it ablaze. You fill the jars and Jesus will take care of the miracle. But if you want the front row seat to the miraculous, be faithful in the mundane. Don't worry about who notices, what, what are people gonna think? If you get post, how many likes do I get? Guys, just do it and don't let anybody else know because your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. Go and make disciples. But Brian, it's too big. Just start with this. Every week, just ask God, who's the one that you want me to impact? Who's the one? Who's the one, God, that you want me to bring Jesus to? And start there. We got to get out of this idea. We got to get thousands into a building, thousands into an arena. We just need to send the millions of followers of Jesus out to the people rather than expecting them always to come to us. Friends, it's time to get back to what the church was really called to do. And friends, you're the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're the church. And maybe somebody's going to go, I just feel like I'm too young. Guys, read the scriptures. Did I bring it up? David was like 15 when he jacked up a nine foot giant and talked trash to him before he did it. He's like, today? Oh, you're making fun of my God? And even before that, when he found out, hey, what does the person get who jacks up the giant? They're like, no taxes, which is money. And you get to marry the king's daughter. Hubba hubba, come on, yeah? I get a girl and I get money? Are you kidding me? What 15-year-old's not gonna be like, I got this. And every 15-year-old guy's like, I can win. I can jack up a nine-foot giant. I'm unstoppable. And then he shows up. He's like, you talking trash about my God? Here's what I'm gonna do. Today, you're gonna die, and I'm gonna cut off your head. I've never had that conversation with somebody. I've never had that experience. But guys, all he has is a sling and five stones. And I love when commentators go, you know why he picked up five stones? No, and neither do you. Stop guessing. You have no clue. It doesn't say. And it wasn't like, ding. It was not like our sling. Ding. It wasn't like that. Picture David, always having to watch sheep, gets a little bit bored, so he has this sling, and he just puts a rock in it. And, and guys, those who were so good at it, those who were marksmen, who were, who were masters at it, they could get that, that stone flying out of the sling, or the sling. Picture this long strip of leather and a pouch, and they're going like this. You could get it going as fast as a bullet. And so when the Bible says that it sank into the skull of Goliath, it's like he shot a gun at him. And all of a sudden, Goliath goes, bam, hits the floor, and David cuts off the dude's head and then took it home. And that's where I think he's a little weird. A little weird. Can you imagine getting home? Because he was supposed to just check on his brothers. And he gets home and mom comes running. Hey, how are the boys doing? They're doing great. And he's got this satchel. 
Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. How was your day? It was all right. What'd you do? I don't think you want to know. <laughs> What's in the bag? You definitely don't want to know. <laughs> Where'd you get the sword? Ah, oh, that's a long story that I'll tell you one day. He's 15. And when God decided to invade the planet as a person, he picked the womb of a teenage girl. Friends, do not, do not let anyone tell you that you are too young to be used by Jesus. If anyone ever comes to you and says, no, no, you're too young, it's because they're too old. Learn, yes, be submissive, be respectful, but if at some point, go, no, no, you don't know enough. Friends, I love the fact that Jesus took those who didn't make the top of the class in their Bible school, but he picked the ones who didn't know enough, but he taught them how to be disciples, and then he sent them out. Friends, your zip code is your mission field. Your school campus is your mission field. Share Jesus. Guys, isn't it amazing how everyone your age, I mean, guys, I did the same thing when I was a high school kid. You want to you kind of leave your mark? You want to be different? And yet for some, you're, all, you're doing the same thing everybody else is doing. It's almost like, you know how rebellious I am? And I'm like, do you know how rebellious everybody else is? You actually think you're doing anything new? Like you did that, you did, you're engaging in that, so, is all, so are all those other people. But what if different meant, I'm a follower of Christ, and what the world says is good, but God says is not, I'm gonna go with God says, and I will stand out, but not that people would take notice of me, but that they would notice God. There's nothing holding you back. How do I know? Because the last verse of Matthew chapter 28, and this is where I'll end it, Jesus says, and and lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Guys, how jacked up could they have been? Jesus, who died and came back from the dead, holding his, like having his scars all over his body, fully God. There he is right in front of me going, hey, I'll be with you. He's like, dang, scarred up Jesus, came back from the dead because you beat up death. You're going to be with me to the very end? Friends, we're unstoppable. Except that we just stop. Friends, we have a calling. Love God with everything, love people, and go make disciples who make disciple makers. That's it. Guys, we can do this. We can do this. Not because we're great, but because God in us is great. Can I pray for us? If as I pray, if you say, God, I'm in. I don't know what it looks like, and I'm terrified. We're gonna have our heads bowed and eyes shut on this one because I think it's gonna be private. But as I pray, if you're sitting there going, God, I wanna be used by you. And not just, I'm not just saying that because I'm leaving camp, but I really do want to do what you called me to do and impact people with the gospel. And this is for everyone in the room. It's not just students and we all get to watch what happens to the students. This is for all of us. If we're saying, God, I'm, I'm in, whatever you want, I'll fill jars. However you want me to do it, I'll just fill jars and you do the miraculous. As I begin to pray, would you just stand if you're saying, God, I'm in. This isn't salvation, this is I'm accepting the mission that I've been called to. Let me pray. Jesus, for those of us who stand, we commit to you again today. And we'll commit again tomorrow. And the day after, and the day after, Jesus, use us. Show us what to do. Show us the one this week that we're to impact. And it might be something simple, God. May we just pray with someone. May we just pay for a meal for someone, and somehow connect it to Jesus in your gospel. But in all of it, God, we want to be faithful. 
And so Holy Spirit, I pray for an anointing that is powerful for those who say we're in. And God, may we be different, so different that people mock us, but may they be blown away by the love that we show them. May they think the things that we believe are nuts, that's fine. But God, may they not be able to argue with how we love and care for them. And so we commit ourselves to you. We thank you for an incredible weekend together. God, to you be all the praise, all the glory and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.